Welcome everybody, my name is Jerry. It's an honor to be here with you guys and be able to open God's word with you. So I invite you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 for this message entitled, What's in a Name? What's in a Name? As has been referenced, we're going to be talking this morning about names and in, uh, in particular the name of Jesus but when you start talking about names, a couple of years ago I did a little bit of research just for fun. You know, we, we all like to think that our names carry on a certain amount of weight and authority, right? Everybody here know what their name means. And are you proud of what that name means, some of you, maybe? You know, it's kind of like there's always two different kinds of name meanings, right? There's the actual real name, if you trace it back through all the history, and then there's kind of like what we call the Christian bookstore name. You know what I mean? Because it could be some name like, you know, Charlie, uh, which could mean whatever it means, but it doesn't matter because in the Christian bookstore it means gift of God, you know what I mean? They always have a way to kind of, you know, do something funky with that. This is kind of fun. But here's a couple of names, popular names that maybe you didn't realize what their true meaning is. Maybe it's a little bit surprising. The name Cassandra means she who snares men. Do you have any, any Cassandras in here? Okay, maybe we shouldn't even ask that. The name Claudia means lame. The name Calvin means bald. Caleb, one meaning is dog. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. Lo- yeah, loyal. You know what's fun? That's the, so funny though, because that's the thing. It's like one meaning is dog, and then you know other people are like, Caleb means faithful companion. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so funny. Yes, that is so true. He is very loyal. Love that man. Well, how about this one? The name Mallory, one meaning is bad luck. Anybody know any Mallory's here? Hopefully that's not true. The name Emily means rival. It's funny because in first service I'm looking around I'm like, uh uh-oh, there's a lot of these actual names sitting in here. I hope I'm not making any enemies. Emily would be a rival, so that would make sense, right? The name Mara means bitter. That's from the Old Testament. I remember where that one is. I knew Amara in high school and that was kind of true. (laughs) Hopefully she's not listening to this podcast right now. Um... But then we were all kind of bitter at high school one, one time or another. The name Jennifer, we got a few of those here. That means white spirit, whatever that means. And then uh, Philip means lover of horses. Isn't that pleasant? But again, Christian bookstore meaning gift of God, faithful friend, all is well. <laughs> but anyway, I want to talk about names because names are important. And my real name is Gerald. And I did a little bit of research here. Again, this is from a couple years ago. Nobody calls me Gerald unless they don't know me and they're looking at some official documentation. But unfortunately, that's what's on my birth certificate. But it means a spear ruler, to rule with a spear. Sounds so violent, doesn't it? I've seen it other places. Again, in the Christian bookstore, it says, a wielder of the sword. And I guess that would probably make sense as a pastor, right? Because this is called the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and this is what I do. But notice um, the first meaning up there is blonde. I don't know where that came from. Maybe when I was like five, but not anymore. But my middle name, you may know it or not know it, is Dwight. Oh, there it is. There's, there's the, 
Dwight means blonde, right? The D and the W are that rare combination of words that will cause your Adam's apple to like explode. You know, like, Dwight. But that's who I am. And uh, that's one meaning. How about the second meaning? It's an English baby name. In English, the meaning of the name Dwight is derived from diat, a Latin whatever, referring to the god of wine. If my parents knew that, they would not have named me Dwight. Famous bear, American president Dwight D. Eisenhower. Gerald, I was named after Gerald Ford. So I got two presidents in my blood, apparently, according to my parents. Hopefully they're not disappointed that I didn't quite reach that stature. But so be it. Now, I also did some research on my wife's name a few years back. And, you know, Becca, apparently, Rebecca means peacemaker. That's what I had always heard. That's the Christian bookstore name. Well, doing a little bit more research, uh, notice it says the name Rebecca is a biblical baby name. In biblical, that's not proper English internet, but in biblical, the meaning of the name Rebecca is fat or fattens. I'm sorry, honey. I'm just the messenger. But notice it does say a quarrel appeased. So there is that element of peacemaking, and that's what Becca does. She makes peace with food. So it works out, it works out well. But I mention all of that nonsense because we're not here to talk about any of our names or any of your names. We're here to talk about the most important name. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we catch that glorious account of the angel of the Lord coming down to a very scared couple and says to Mary, you will have a name and you will call him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The name Jesus is a strong name. The Hebrew equivalent to the New Testament name Jesus in the Hebrew is Joshua, which means Jehovah saves, the Lord saves. And when God the Father, in all of his heavenly wisdom, in the span of time, the story of humanity, decided that on this date, his son would be born, you will call his name Jesus, the Lord saves. And all throughout the book of Acts, you see that this name is spreading and it's our responsibility as it was their responsibility as the early church to carry this name of Jesus to places that it has not been heard. You'll remember that the early believers were first called Christians at a church called Antioch and it wasn't necessarily a positive Like, hey, let's call ourselves Christians. That's what people from the outside world called them. They said, these are people that are acting like Jesus and they're talking a lot about Jesus. You remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we talked about you will be my witnesses. And that idea means representative. So you will be Jesus to the world. So the people on the outside called them little Jesus or little Christ. And that's how the term Christians started and so here we are in Acts chapter 19 and this idea of carrying that name of Jesus everywhere is continuing and there's two incredible accounts uh, in this narrative that that help us understand that so if you're taking notes just two very simple points both based on a different narrative from Acts chapter 19 Um, and, and we're asking ourselves the question okay so what's the purpose 
Why should we carry this name? And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is because his name is more powerful than our fears. Because his name, that name of Jesus, carries along power, more powerful even than our deepest rooted fears. And it's pretty significant that we're in this particular passage because, of course, uh, here we are towards the end of October, and Wednesday night is what? Life group night. I don't know what you guys are talking about. No, Wednesday night is Halloween, of course, right? And if you grew up in my home, Halloween was the devil's night. So we could only dress up as, uh, as anything if they were biblical characters. So we had Moses and Elijah running around our neighborhood, you know, and that sort of thing. Not really. There's no doubt throughout the course of history that there have been some, uh, a, a lot of situations where evil in the spirit world and the spirit realm and stuff like that have celebrated that day and focused on that day as one that is a high holiday in that world. And it's pretty ironic that we're, we're talking about that now because here we are in Acts chapter 19 and, and 2,000 years ago when all of this was happening there was, there was a huge influence of the demonic world uh, on those people. And, and there is today as well but certainly shortly after Christ walked the earth and the early uh, believers were going around from town to town you see incredible accounts in the Gospels of people that were demon-possessed and all kinds of scary, fearful, um, crazy things happening. And all of that was going on right here in Acts 19. Paul was going around, he was healing people. There were some that were um, you know, oppressed by, by evil forces and he would heal them. Some of the other early apostles had that same power of healing as well, just like Jesus did. But here we see an account where this name of Jesus was used in such a way, seemingly good, seemingly in a way that was right, but the motivations were unpure. Well, let's talk about it. Let's start reading in, uh, in verse 13. Acts chapter 19. It says this, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. All right, so do you see what's happening here? There was always this opportunity for people to capitalize on healings. And these were uh, Jewish priests. They had some religious experience. They were not followers of Jesus or believers in Jesus. And yet... They said, I see what Paul's doing. I see that this name of Jesus has power. I see that it's healing. So we're going to use that name and try and get some of that notoriety, try and get some of that success and some of those accolades. So they said, I command you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. It's not going to work. Verse 14. Now there were seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva that were doing this. So these seven brothers were going around doing this exact thing, verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them, this is so great, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
called them on their bluff. Trying to use the name of Christ, not believers in Christ, no real power in that name, it's just words. Trying to capitalize it, and the, and the demon uh, called them on that. Look in verse 16, this is in scripture, I'm not making this up. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, remember it's 1 verse 7 now, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house, notice what it says, naked and wounded. We just have to take a second here and picture this, all right? Back when I was growing up, I used to love to watch kung fu and karate movies on TV on Sunday afternoons. Remember Bruce Lee movies and everything and shows? I think there's even like a weekly show. And they would always, you know, Bruce Lee would go into some town and there would always be like 18 guys lined up and he'd always just fight them one-on-one and take care of all of them until like the oldest, uh, you know, kung fu master in the town, that was the big battle. Anybody with me on the Bruce Lee kung fu stuff, Okay. But it's like, why didn't they all just attack him at one time? That would make much more sense. And it would probably be successful. Well, here, you've got this supernatural uh, demon-possessed person that takes care of all seven of them at one time. So much so that they ran out of the house, not just bleeding, but naked as well. How did that happen? What kind of wardrobe malfunctions occurred where that would be part of the equation? I don't know. But it's in the Bible, so we have to preach it. Okay? These guys were humiliated. They went running because they failed and they tried to misuse the powerful name of Jesus. One author put it this way. This name of Jesus was like an unfamiliar weapon misused and it exploded right in their hands. So you read something like this and we have to ask ourselves a question. Certainly a different context now thousands of years later but even so you can certainly see that these were people that were filled with pride and wanted to chase after someone else's experience they wanted the attention they wanted the money they wanted the notoriety the reputation, whatever else came for them of um, being seen as somebody who could be a healer so that people would follow and love and respect and even pay them money to do this very thing. And they were using the name of Jesus for personal gain. Remember about a year ago, I was having some plumbing issues in our house and found a plumber on, uh, on or sorry, an appliance uh, repairman on next door. And I saw that there was a little Jesus fish next to his website name. I'm like, oh, cool. A fellow believer. This will be great. So I call him, comes over. Super nice guy. Gave me his card. Jesus fish on the card as well. Little did he know that I was a pastor. So I started asking him, like, hey, um, where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. I haven't been going to church in years. Huh. So... It's interesting that you've got this little symbol because you do know that that represented the early church. They would do this little fish sign and that would be a way that they would be able to connect to one another that these are Christians and they are believers in Jesus together. And basically I called him and he admitted it without really saying it. The reason he had it on there was because maybe he would get some more calls and people would think he was trustworthy. And I was super nice with him about it and shared the gospel with them and invited them to church and whatever. But the point is, somebody using this idea, this image of Christianity without it really being true in their heart. 
is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And ironically, providentially, uh, this week in, in some of the devotions that my wife and I do together, there was an account of a pastor who really struggled with a very similar kind of feel in that externally we want to say the right things and take pride in in kind of who we are and what we've accomplished and internally it's not always a pretty picture just listen to this quick account from this devotional he says i had ministry gifts i had ministry calling i thought i was living a life of faith listen to this but my faith was like a luxury car with no engine It was beautiful on the outside, but it lacked the power necessary to do what it was meant to do. He said, God is faithful and will do what is necessary to craft a real and authentic faith in us. Faith isn't natural for us. It's not natural for us to rest our our entire past, present, and future on someone who we cannot hear, see, or touch. Doubt is natural, envy is natural, fear is natural, worry is natural, trying to figure out what's coming next is natural, trusting in our own strength and wisdom is natural, but faith is not. He says, God used marriage and ministry to expose my weak, shallow, and immature faith. Oh, I worked hard to deny the evidence that marriage and ministry produced. I pointed to my acts of righteousness to pump air into my delusion, but God would not turn away. I was a very angry man, but I had denied that anger and its roots in my heart. I was a very proud man, but I refused to see it. I was a self-sovereign controller. But I said it was just me using my God-given leadership gifts. People in our congregation confronted me about my pride. I once preached what I thought was the ultimate sermon on pride, but it really was a case study of the same. Really powerful when we step back and we take a look at how dangerous it is to have the appearance of something without it truly being real in our heart. So what happened after this episode? Verse 17, it became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, was held up, was glorified. Verse 18, what was the response? Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and he burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value of them and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. There was such a difference in some of these people who, again, had been participating in the evil, scary, awful deeds of darkness. But it was the name of the Lord Jesus that was greater and more powerful even than those fears. Second point we want to make here directly from the text. 
Why do we need to be carriers of the name of Jesus? Number two, because his name will endure forever. His name will endure forever. Keep reading in verse 23. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's what people also called this church. It was called the way. It's a pretty cool name for a church, don't you think? Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. And these he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. I want you to stop right there. So I picture this guy, Demetrius, is like just kind of a big, strong metalworking kind of dude, you know, probably got tattoos, you know, wearing the big leather thing, and he works with metal, and he's pounding big hammers, and kind of like this big guy, right? That's what he does. I lived in Metro Detroit area for nine years, and up there on every corner, you're going to see all the different unions, right, having to do with the auto workers, factories, and, and, and foundries, and all that sort of thing, right? So this guy, Demetrius, is gathering together his union, right, the Teamsters Union, or the auto union, or whatever it is, so a bunch of angry, metalworking, strong dudes getting together, and he's riling them all up. Why? Keep on reading in verse 26. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods at all. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. He's saying, guys, don't you see? We're making our livelihood. We get our identity from this, what we really believe. This name Artemis, this goddess, who is a goddess of hunting. Maybe you've seen her her statue. She's usually got a bow and arrow. She's a goddess of hunting. She's a goddess of fertility. And she was worshipped all throughout the ancient world by many different names. They're saying our reputation, our identity, her glory, her majesty, Her name is going to be tarnished if we allow this Paul to continue to lift up the name of Jesus. So I love the response here. And when they heard this, verse 28, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And so the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together in the theater, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Verse 30, it says, but Paul wished to go in among the crowd. That shows you what kind of brave heart he had, right? There's people that are angry. There's people that are confused. There's people that have questions. I don't care if they're violent. I kind of want to be right in the fray. I want to run to the battle and share with them. But his friends didn't let him go. Verse 32, notice this, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them did not know even why they had come together. 
Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense. He wanted to explain something to them. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, notice this, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So this huge rally is going on, and you got to wonder if their chant maker couldn't come up with anything better than that. It doesn't really rhyme. It doesn't have any cadence. You know, it's not something like, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. You know, it's, no. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Maybe they only gave him like 10 seconds, like, Charlie, make something up for us, quick. But regardless, for two hours, that's what they chanted. We're lifting up this name. We are so passionate, so in love with this idea of this deity that we're going to stand here and we're going to scream our guts out so that Artemis is worshipped. I think it's so interesting though, guys, if you really think about this idea of worship and this comparison of people gathered together and if you compare that sometimes to the American church, and these guys were so dedicated that they were willing to, to rally everybody else together and they were willing to stand there for two hours. You wonder if there was maybe some half-hearted worshipers of Artemis, you know, who were kind of like, all right, we've been chanting this for 30 minutes now. Are, is somebody going to speak? Is there going to be a speaker or somebody? Can we sit down now? Are there chairs anywhere? I really need something to drink. How long is this going to drone on? This isn't comfortable. They didn't prepare for us. You know what I'm saying? But they were one voice. That's how bought into the lie of worship of Artemis that they were. When you think about how much they were lifting up that name, it's ironic to see that Artemis was definitely worship and she was very prominent. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of her temple where people would go to worship and that's just a model much smaller than the original because this is what the original looks like today it's almost nothing all the pillars are collapsed those great chants of great is artemis of the ephesians haven't been heard in 1500 years Because that name that they were carrying and that name that they were lifting up was just that. It was just a name. And when you think about us as believers, when you think about us as church and what we're entrusted with and taking that name of Jesus and carrying that to the world, we need to recognize that that we are pretty good at carrying names. I listened to a message from one pastor in Atlanta a few years back, and, and, and he said it this way, we are pretty good at carrying names. We've been doing this from birth. A Gerber baby? Baby Einstein? Anybody with me on the baby Einstein? Gap kids? Labels? Names, things that we herald, things that we bring, things that we talk about, things that we follow, people that we listen to, things that we broadcast. There's a lot of different names that we're carrying around and advertising. Ralph Lauren is a name. Anybody a fan of the polo here? Calvin Klein, that's a name. Gucci is a name. 
It's also a description, apparently, my kids have told me. That's so Gucci, okay? Izod's a name. Vineyard Vines is a name. Khalid is a name. Any fans? Post Malone, that's a name. Katy Perry's a name. U2 is a name. Mumford & Sons, 21 Pilots, Cardi B, Drake, Imagine Dragons. Kanye West is a name. Eddie Bauer's a name. Anybody wear Eddie Bauer anymore? Is that kind of more of an old man's stuff? Maybe. Sears is a name. Maybe we should take an offering for Sears. Share with them from the share fund because it's not going to be a name much longer. Hollister's a name. Kate Spade is a name. Fox News is a name. ESPN's a name. Wolfpack is a name. Tar Heel's a name. Blue Devils is a name. Panthers is a name. Yankees are a name, Red Sox, Dodgers are a name, Patriots are a name, Bieber's a name, Microsoft is a name, Mercedes is a name, Apple Computer is a name, and we could go on and on and on and on and on of all these different brands, all these different voices, all these different names, and they've all got one thing in common. They are all banking on you to wear their name and carry their name. And if you don't, they will fade into history. And what I'm bringing to you this morning is that we need to make sure we are not just mules for our culture. There's nothing wrong with any of those things that I mentioned. This isn't one of those kinds of talks. They are names that we live in, in this world that we live in, and this mess that we live in. I want to challenge you here this morning that you can determine whose name you're going to carry into the world. And when people think of you, it's not your favorite musician or your favorite clothes or your favorite sports team, but it's rather a name that is the only name that will last And in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul brings that down to us in such an incredible way that undoubtedly you're familiar with if you've been around church for a while. He says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the only name that matters. And here in the 19th chapter of Acts, we see that that name is more powerful than our fears. And we see that that name will endure long beyond any of these other names that seem so prominent. And my question for you here this morning as we bring things to a close is just a couple of application thoughts that I want you to to wrestle with in your hearts. I'm going to ask you guys to just bow your heads and and just kind of close your eyes and just clear your minds here as we just really come down to the point where we're asking God to reveal something to us. When we talk about that name of Jesus being powerful, even amongst the darkness, even among the evil, even amongst uh, the battle going on, according to the book of Ephesians, that's really not even against flesh and blood, man. It's thoughts, it's, it's forces going on. Do we believe that we can speak the name of Jesus even over those fears 
And my question is, what fears do you need to speak that name of Jesus over? What's raging in your world right now, even like we sang about several times where the waves are just seemingly overpowering and and our God is there and our Jesus is there and he can say, peace, be still. He can say, step out, come follow me, trust in me. I can overcome even your circumstances as scary as they may be. And those fears might be about the future. They might be about finances. They might be about health. They might be about your children or your marriage. But whatever they are, that name of Jesus is powerful enough to overcome even our fears. And what about this, this whole idea of um, a name that will endure? What name have you been heralding? What banner have you been holding up? What have you been living for? What are, what are you passionate about? Maybe not necessarily verbally, but what name, what idea in your mind have you been chanting and never getting tired? Because I'm worshiping this thing and pouring out my affections and pouring out my resources. But ultimately, it's not going to last. Maybe for some here, even this morning, we've been holding up our own name. We think that's the name that's going to last. That's the one that's going to endure. That's the one that people need to see. Jesus is the only name worthy of our affections. So God, I thank you for this group of people. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, for these accounts. Father, I just thank you for the power that can be found in your name. And Lord, it's in that name that we come to you. We bring our burdens before you. We bring our fears before you. We bring our idols before you. And Lord, we just thank you that you destroy them all and you overcome them all because you have given us a new name. You have called us a son. You have called us a daughter if we've stepped out in faith and trusted you. So we thank you for that, God, and we pray that you would be pleased with our worship.